good man was saying, my name is Mike, Mike Edwards. I'm a student at SNU, recently licensed, for better or worse. <laughs> um, so this past uh, three years, I spent a decent amount of time interning with Mustang Church of the Nazarene, where I did a little bit of everything for them, everything from youth to uh, tech support and uh, occasional filling in when they really needed a singer. <laughs> when they really needed it though, that was not the first choice, thank God. Uh, and over this past year, I've been working with uh, our awesome district superintendent, uh, Dr. Mark Lehman. So getting to know some of the people around the Southwest Oklahoma district, which has been a really great blessing. So I'm very happy to be here today with y'all and have this opportunity to share the word of God with you. So I thought I'd give you a little bit of uh, background on myself before I started, just tell you who I am and how I got here. So um, I suppose the easiest way to get into it is I grew up around the church, but very rarely in it. And uh, kind of moved around a whole lot as a kid. I was kind of a rough kid. Um, my father was a home builder, so we um, moving was part of the game. And everywhere from the mean streets of Tulsa all the way to the countryside of Alberta, Canada, and a whole lot of places in between. So uh, I'm like the Johnny Cash song. I've been everywhere, man. <laughs> so throughout that time, um, I never really developed much of a relationship with God, and I never really had a lot of direction in my life for where I wanted to go or what I was supposed to be doing. So I tried different things. I worked a lot of different jobs. I did construction, worked in restaurants, um, tried working at a couple different degrees, changed my major, and but never really could find that calling. Um, and unfortunately, when you can't find direction in life, a lot of times you go to the wrong places. And for me, a lot of that was getting into the party lifestyle, the dealing heavily in drugs and alcohol, all sorts of just bad decisions looking back on that are so easy to look at now but are often so hard to look through when you're still in them. Um, thankfully, uh, in the spring of 2020, I had a dramatic encounter uh, with Jesus and basically my mental health had been deteriorating and I had this just moment where nothing felt more real than him and uh, that night I said the first earnest prayer I'd said since I was in about yay high um, and basically promised him if he could save me from myself, then I would spend the rest of my life telling people about him. So, um, long story short, I started getting better. Um, I threw out all my drugs and alcohol. Uh, and this past weekend actually marked uh, not only me getting my district license, but three years of clean and sober living. So praise God for that. Um, so, it was kind of a wild ride. Like, it's amazing how God will open doors you don't think will be opened for you. <laughs> and I got saved and my life started getting better. And I remembered, oh, yeah, I made this promise. Okay, what do I do? Uh, this was right around when COVID was getting started. And 
whole world was going crazy and I was like, okay, do I go to school or do I get like a picket sign with big red letters like repent, Jesus is the way? Like just, I was like, what's, what's the move here? Um, but I figured I'd give it the old college try and uh, after hearing one of those very annoyingly catchy jingles on the radio for Southern Nazarene University, that I'm sure we've all heard. Um, I was like, sure, I'll give that a shot. Um, I didn't even know where it was. It was still living in Tulsa at the time, but I looked it up on my phone, said, oh, it's in Oklahoma City, okay. Uh, well, I got a free weekend, I'll go give it a shot. Um, went down uh, in June and of 2020, talked to some people there, said, well, this is nice. I mean, I've always been bad at school, though. I'm probably not going to get in, but I'll at least I, I tried something this week, and I'll have that under my belt. Two weeks later, I get an email saying, you've been accepted for the 2020 uh, fall semester. <laughs> it was now July, so <laughs> I was like, okay, I got to move. <laughs> so, uh, but it's been an amazing ride, and I'm so grateful to be here and for all the people God has put me in contact with and just all the amazing things he's done in my life and how much of a better place I'm in now than I was three years ago. So without further ado, get into the Word of God today, which is always fun. So today's reading, if you want to read along, uh, will be in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Again, that's Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. I like this. Some of you go analog. I can tell when you're still looking. <laughs> it makes noise. I don't know when people are just on their phone and they've already got it. but Because <laughs> they told me they'd always say it three times. That's one more time. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. <clears throat> For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once, traded with them, and he made five talents more. So he also, who had the two talents, made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. 
Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God for the people of God, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Whew! What a cheery passage of scripture you picked, Mike. Good way to start my Sunday off. All motivated by all these wonderful young people and their great singing. You come up here and bring that to the table? Yes, I do. So, I know what y'all are thinking, or at least many of you are most likely thinking. Um, That seems a little harsh. (laughs) This um, treatment that the third servant gets. And it was hard for me to understand this passage at first, but because when something's hard for me to understand, I kind of have trouble putting it down, and I'll just research it and research it until I get some revelation on it. And I think it's okay to question things. And uh, the thing I've realized after studying is that Jesus is not just being arbitrarily mean here. He's trying to hammer home the importance of this parable and the meaning behind it. A good way to think about this, imagine you have a hot stove with a boiling pot of water with the handle hanging over the side. And you have your son or your daughter, who's just a wee little thing back when they were still that. And they toddle over and you see them reach up at the handle. Now, are you more likely to go, oh, sweetie, you shouldn't touch that? (laughs) Or are you more likely to go, get away from that? (laughs) Maybe grab them, throw them. (laughs) Make sure they get the message, don't touch that. Now, from their perspective, they're normally benevolent caretakers being unreasonably mean, but, and they may start to cry or break down and not understand, but you have a different perspective than they do. We know that they will get over their hurt feelings and a temper tantrum never really lasts more than 10 minutes, but if you hadn't gotten their attention at all costs right then, there would have been permanent and maybe even life-threatening consequences. You see, as I was studying the scripture, I found out something that I found really interesting. It's just how much a talent is actually worth. I also found out that you get the word talent that we use today, meaning like juggling or something. Like That's actually where we get it from is this passage. Um, but what he's, it was a measure of wealth back then, like a certificate or a, a check or some kind of form of currency. And I found out that one talent was the equivalent of 15 years of wages for a laborer. So I knew it was like, okay, clearly these things are valuable, but I didn't know they were that valuable. So that's basically what he's giving these people is a, the better part of a lifetime's worth of wages or more. 
And when I found that out, I realized that Jesus wasn't using this parable to get us to value his money. He was using this message to tell us to value our time. Because time's a precious thing and you only got so much of it. And all the money in the world won't buy you more. So what the talents symbolize is how much time, it's how you invest your life. It's how you invest what he's given you by making you who you are. I've heard it said in the past that the wealthiest place on earth is the cemetery because so many people die without ever discovering their gifts or figuring out how to serve it up to the world. So they just take everything with them. So their potential stays just that, potential, and goes to the grave with them. Jesus is describing the end result of the third servant mentality as being thrown out with weeping and gnashing of teeth because this chronic tendency to devalue our time on earth is one of the greatest catastrophes of humanity. Is that we don't dig down into ourselves and find those parts of ourselves that God has called us to serve up to his, in the name of his kingdom. You see, I think we're living in an age of never enough. We're constantly bombarded with images of people who are more attractive than us, story of those who are more virtuous or more successful than us, and we receive all these wonderful unattainable comparisons through devices made by people who are much smarter than us. <laughs> and in light of this comparison culture, we often find good news making us feel bad. And we find ourselves making the mistake of comparing ourselves to our neighbors today instead of looking at who we were yesterday. And the result of this kind of thinking is we don't even try to aim upward to improve ourselves. And we self-sabotage before we even get there. And we say to ourselves things like, well, I'll never be Michael Jordan, so why would I even try playing basketball? Or, well, I'll never write like Maya Angelou, so why would I even try to start writing? This kind of thinking is so toxic, and it just smothers talents and gifts and blessings from God, it smothers them in the crib before they even have a chance to get going. Stealing, stealing our joy. Like, instead of doing what we do as unto the Lord and finding the joy in the process of learning to write or build or create something, we don't think our actions have value if they don't trend on Twitter. And this is a big issue, especially amongst young people today. And I think this is an issue of focus. And it's systemic in our culture. And what's worse is that it often prioritizes what's flashy over what's virtuous. Taking the style over the substance. And by making us think that because we weren't dealt, say, a five-talent hand that draws a crowd's attention, we start to think that there's no value in what we can do. This is a serious problem because the greatest mistake someone can make is to be afraid of making one. 
because no one is right all the time. But that's okay, because what you begin to realize as you meet more and more people is that it's only very small people that, never, that are never wrong, that have never made mistakes. People who make it very far in life make mistakes and own up to them. It's a horrible mix of vanity and pride rooted in a deep insecurity that creates those who refuse to admit when they've made a mistake. In much the same way that the schoolyard bully is often the most insecure individual among his peers. Because of the proliferation of this pride and shame mindset, people often surrender their minds to a talking head or political figure who tells us that all of our problems are out of our hands or someone else's fault. And when that happens, we start to surrender the part of ourselves that is supposed to think things through for ourselves. We start to devalue our individuality because we live in a world that values conformity for conformity's sake. I'm reminded of a story that my dad used to tell me um, about not following the follower. And he told me this story about how there was two men. One owned a jewelry store. And like most jewelry stores, this one had a large clock in front of it. And every day, another man would walk by the clock early in the morning after the jewelry store owner had opened it. He would look at the clock and set his watch to it every day. And he watched him do this for a good long while, several months, until one day while he was out sweeping in front of his shop, the man came by and did his regular routine, and he finally couldn't hold back his curiosity anymore and said, sir, why do you set your watch to my uh, clock every day? He's like, oh, well, that's simple. I'm the foreman down at the factory down the street, and it's my job to blow the quitting whistle at the end of the day. And I blow it right at 5 o'clock, so I want to make sure that I get it on time. To which the jewelry store owner starts laughing because he says, well, that's the darndest thing. Every week on Friday, I set this clock to that quitting whistle when I hear it down the street. So they'd been setting their clock to each other for who knows how long. And I think this is a good analogy because this is what happens when you tie a boat off to itself rather than a dock. And so much of what we focus on today is all horizontal comparisons of us to our neighbor, but we forget about the vertical comparison of us and our creator. And when you lose that vertical reference point that Jesus is, you start to forget who you are. And there's no worse feeling than that of invisibility, of doing your best and having it go unseen. I'm here to tell you today that the Father sees you. He saw you when you could have gotten even with someone and you became the bigger person. The Father saw the tears you shed when you would not compromise who you are just to fit in. You see, we are not citizens of this worldly kingdom that celebrates only the things that are seen. We're citizens of another kingdom where Jesus tells us that when you do something in secret, 
God will see you, and his reward is better than what the world has to offer. So if you felt unappreciated, unnoticed, and forgotten, in his kingdom, it's best to keep in mind that what is unseen is often most significant. You see, sometimes a great king is less important than a baby in a manger. And it's the small things that people aren't paying attention to so often in scripture. The unassuming folk, the youngest son of Jesse that becomes the great king of Israel. It's so important to remember where we find our value from. Because Jesus is the dock, the firm foundation we can actually tie ourselves off to and will give us reference. So, as we start to understand more about God, we start to understand that we serve a God of abundance and not a God of scarcity. And this is where I circle back to the scripture that a lot of people like to live like the third servant in the parable of Jesus. And I don't know where this mindset keeps coming from other than the pits of hell, but just... It keeps showing up where everyone wants to treat life kind of like a zero-sum game. And it's this idea of like, well, if you succeed, you had to take it from someone else. It's like, if I have it, that means someone else doesn't have it. It's like, you don't know the God we serve. He'll give you wells you didn't dig and vineyards you didn't plant. It's, we have a God who can take five loaves of bread and two fish and feed 5,000. Like... And we hide ourselves away when we, aren't, when we don't just wake up with 10 talents or five talents or however many, and we may only have the one. So we just bury what makes us special and we freeze up and shrink away because we're so convinced that we don't have what it takes to make a difference. You see, Jesus wasn't worried about the amount of talents that the servants brought back. That's why he gives the servant gifted with four talents the same praise he gives the servant with ten. Well done, good and faithful servant. For like it says in Luke 16.10, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Jesus is trying to tell us through this parable that we're more powerful than we realize. And doing the best with what you have is vitally important. And it makes a real difference on the kingdom of God. And sometimes, like, there's such a feeling of defeat that comes at us. And I see this, and this one crosses generations. I see it coming through the TV and mainstream news. I see it coming through people's phones on Twitter, people my age, people younger than me when I was working with youth. And it's just this nihilistic, this defeatist energy that just keeps trying to creep in and corrupt everything. And it gets us starting to view the world as just 
it's just a dark place where there's never enough and nothing you do is going to fix it. And you start to devalue yourself and you look for reasons to not stretch out and try to grow. And I'm absolutely guilty of this myself. I have found myself thinking over and over that I have no business living the life I'm living right now. When I think about all the foolish things I used to do and the selfish, just idiot I used to be, I feel like I'm the most unworthy person in the world to be trying to work in ministry at times. And in those moments, the temptation to give up can just be so overwhelming. And I hear all these voices in my head that say, you've forgotten where you came from. You don't have what it takes to be anything good. You'll never be blessed. You'll never be used by God. God can't use someone like you. And I hear all these lying voices coming from inside my head. And those voices will just make you want to bury yourself in a hole, pull the dirt over top, just like the talent given to the third servant. You see, it's these attacks from the world that get us feeling like the third servant in the parable. And we start burying the things that have the power to multiply and grow. And we make things, we defeat the things in us that could make things better, not worse. And I have to remember who God calls me to be, not just who I remember myself as. And I have to look at my life, and you don't want to be delusional. You want to say, yep, I screwed up, but I'm still here, and I'm not taking any credit. (laughs) The fact that I'm not God knows where is proof that God really does work miracles. So... A lot of us have times in our life, maybe not all the time, but from time to time in certain areas where we feel we're not good enough to serve in the kingdom of God. But it's in those moments where God shows up in the most merciful of ways. And like the hymn says, he giveth more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplies peace. So when you're saying, I'm the lowest of the low, and Christ is saying, I'm the light of the world, you're here to share my gospel. When I say I can't even do the simplest things correctly, Jesus says, you're more than a conqueror through him. And if we are the light of the world, then it makes no sense to bury ourselves because you don't light a candle just to hide it away under something, just like it says in Luke chapter 8. God didn't set a fire in your heart just for the devil to bury you and extinguish what makes you a child of God. This is where we take up the mantle of responsibility and do our part to walk the walk, to step out in faith and encourage You see, God can and he will help us as we continue down our path. But we have to keep moving forward. Because God will not force you to move. And God will not force you to pursue him because he doesn't manipulate his children. So we have to step out in courage. 
there's a reason it's called a walk of faith, not a sit back and see what happens of faith. <laughs> and going after the things that we feel called to can be intimidating. It can be scary. And when you go for something, you might not hit it. But we serve a merciful and a gracious God. And some of the greatest success stories in recent history have been people who have failed over and over and over again, but then they finally get it, and no one remembers the failures. And this is what I think Jesus wants us to realize, that it's better to aim and not achieve rather than to not aim at all that it's better to try and fail than to not try at all because we serve a gracious and good God. There are benefits that can be accrued through failure if it's done with an open mind that's willing to learn. But you must continue to move. You cannot make a course correction while standing still. We must walk by faith rather than be paralyzed by fear. As members of the kingdom of God, it's imperative that we keep in mind that we serve an awesome God. We serve a God who reaps where he has not sown, who gathers where he scattered no seed. And we have to remember, when we don't see a way, God is still on the throne. And not because of who I am, but because of who he is, the victory is ours. If you'd please join me in prayer today. So I get ready to turn the mic back over here. Heavenly Father, thank you for the work you are doing in our lives and for the work that you can't wait to keep doing in the future. Thank you for creating me and everyone else here today on purpose and for a purpose. Thank you for the good work you do and will continue to do in our lives. To you go the glory and the honor and the praise forever and ever. Amen.